This is the mop-up. The 14th Amendment gives the president the right to protect the credit worthiness of the federal government. It also, the 14th Amendment also forbids Americans from holding elective office if they participated in an insurrection. The entire Republican Party is either guilty of participating in January 6th or turning a blind eye to it. January 6th was an insurrection. And now the very same Republicans who refuse to disown that insurrection are threatening the creditworthiness of our United States. Another insurrection. This is an insurrection by other means. A lot of these Republicans who are serving in Congress right now should have been thrown out based on the 14th Amendment. If Joe Biden isn't going to use the presidential powers granted to him by the 14th Amendment and put an end to this artificial debt ceiling crisis today, then he should at least have the decency to put the Trump tax cuts on the negotiating table. Considering the Trump tax cuts added nearly one third to this debt. With the federal government expected to run out of cash by the end of the month, unless the debt ceiling is raised beyond the current cap of $31 trillion, $38 billion, negotiations between the White House and Republicans ended up, ended up dissolving today, on Friday, when lead negotiator for Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican Louisiana Congressman Garrett Graves, said it was time to press pause on the talks because the Biden White House is being unreasonable. Donald Trump's four years in office ran up more debt by far than any other president's four-year term of office. Donald Trump increased the debt by $7.4 trillion, meaning Nearly one third of the entire U.S. debt was created by the self-described king of debt, Donald J. Trump. Trump created that debt by giving the largest tax cut in American history to the wealthiest one percent. While the tax cut provided some sugar high to our economy, it failed to produce the economic activity necessary to pay for itself through increased tax revenue. The basic rule of budgeting is when you ask the rich to pay less in taxes, the government gets less money coming in, which means in order to provide government services, to veterans, to our children and grandparents, like giving out Medicaid and food stamps, in order to keep the government running when you don't tax the rich, the government must take on debt. Instead of reversing the Trump tax cuts, Republicans insist on fiscal austerity. They demand the government cut spending instead of demand that the rich pay their fair share of taxes, i.e. get rid of the Trump tax cuts. Our debt is reaching record highs, not because of entitlements, not because we're building roads and bridges or making sure school children get free meals. Our debt is at record high because Washington refuses to tax the wealthy. Now, there are hundreds of academics who will say, oh, no, 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 it's more complicated than that. They only say that because they're paid to say that. Tax cuts for the rich create debt. That's it. Tax cuts for the rich never stimulate the economy. Tax cuts for the rich never create, as promised, an imaginary windfall of tax revenue that lowers our debt. If supply-side economics worked, then Republicans wouldn't be preaching fiscal austerity right now. They'd point to the budget surplus 
and say, see, it worked. We can pay for everything simply by cutting taxes for the rich. Actually, what I just said is partly not true, because if there were a budget surplus, the Republicans would say more tax cuts, less spending, because Republicans want all of it. They want all of it. They want all the money and they do not want to help the working poor. They prefer workers to be poor. Poor workers are desperate and they do what they're told. In 2000, when George W. Bush, I know this is going to be, I'm going to tell you a story, and I, I, I think you're going to find this hard to believe. Back in 2000, when George W. Bush was running against Vice President Al Gore, America was running a budget surplus. Yes, a budget surplus. By the time Bill Clinton left office, America had a budget surplus. And for a time, our Treasury Department stopped issuing debt. You couldn't buy Treasury notes. The 2000 debates between Bush and Gore revealed the philosophical split between Democrats and Republicans. Democrat Al Gore, Bill Clinton's vice president, said the surplus, there was a surplus during the debates. Al Gore said the surplus should be held by the federal government in case of a, you know, you need it for a rainy day, the rainy day fund, right? To make sure the government has extra cash when the next recession hits. Republican George W. Bush, war criminal, Republican George W. Bush, however, said that budget surplus that Clinton Democrat created, that budget surplus belonged to the American people and therefore should be returned to them. Bush refused to imagine a recession the same way Bush refused to imagine what would happen after he toppled Saddam Hussein. After the Supreme Court gave Bush the presidency, he cut taxes for the rich. And then he launched a global war on terror by claiming it could be paid for by lowering more taxes from, for the rich. It was the first time in American history that we tried to pay for two wars or one war by asking Americans to pay fewer taxes. There was no sacrifice, just our soldiers, everybody else. Hey, you want to help the war effort? Go out and shop. That's literally what George W. Bush said. You don't have to pay more taxes. Just go shopping. Treat yourself. After eight years in office, George W. Bush, war criminal, raised our debt by 105 percent. He more than doubled our national debt. He added more than six trillion dollars to our debt, not because of the two unnecessary wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. That debt was caused by massive tax cuts for the rich. Now, because we are a nation of financial illiterates, including me, George W. Bush was able to sell the tax cuts for the rich as an extension of those glory days of Reaganomics, the glory days of Ronald Reagan's two terms. There is a myth that continues to this day that Ronald Reagan left office as a beloved president because he reined in federal spending, cut taxes, and by doing so, unleashed untold economic prosperity. Not true. Like everything about Ronald Reagan, his legacy is a lie. He raised taxes after he lowered them for the rich. He lowered taxes for the rich and corporations and then raised taxes regressively on the rest of us. Now, Reagan was elected promising to lower the deficit. He popularized the trickle-down theory or supply-side economics or the Laffer curve. It was and remains a highly discredited economic theory, which goes, the wealthy are the engines of economic growth. That's the theory, that the wealthy are job creators. They are not. The wealthy do not create jobs. They ship them overseas and hoard their wealth. That's why they're wealthy. Whether you like it or not, 
the engine of economic growth is government spending. When you add up federal, state and local spending, corporate America can't come close. Not only that, more often than not, corporate America turns profits and creates jobs because of government contracts and or tax incentives. This is, whether you like it or not, socialism. The government controls our economy through spending and by raising and lowering interest rates on the debt that our government creates. This is a state-run economy, whether you like it or not. It is socialism. Unfortunately, the state is run by a handful of billionaires. And some of the money they save by not paying their fair share of taxes goes towards think tanks to places like Cato, Grover Norquist, the Heritage Foundation, the Federalist Society, and business schools like Wharton, Harvard, and Columbia to churn out phony professors publishing even phonier studies, insisting rich people, not the government, create the jobs that grow the economy. It's a lie. But like I said, a nation of financial literates is going to believe the 1%'s highly paid shills. George W. Bush, war criminal, George W. Bush sold his tax cuts for the rich the same way Donald Trump sold his tax cuts for the rich, by hearkening the sacred memory of Ronald Reagan singing the praises of Reaganomics, conveniently forgetting that Reagan's tax cuts were only for the wealthy and they increased our national debt. Reagan's tax cuts for the wealthy increased our national debt, not by 100 percent, but by 186 percent. Ronald Reagan, the touchstone of supply side economics, who who promised that if you remove the government shackles from the rich, our economy will skyrocket and the tax cuts will pay for themselves through all the supposed taxes collected from the overheated economy. Ronald Reagan instead increased our debt by 186 percent more than any other president. And he's the touchstone of supply side economics. 186 percent Ronald Reagan increased our debt. That's more than George W. Bush, who increased it by 105 percent or Donald Trump, who, because he was thankfully just a one term president, only got to increase it by 40 percent. He only had four years to put $7 trillion, more, more than $7 trillion on the credit card. The national debt increases. This is a fact. The national debt increases at a much higher rate when a Republican is in the White House than when a Democrat is. That's a fact. So far, Joe Biden has only increased the debt by 6%. And yes, Barack Obama increased it by 70%. But don't forget, he was paying for two wars he inherited, as well as the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression caused by George W. Bush, war criminal. Bill Clinton only increased our debt by 31 percent. And here's where it gets really important, because it reveals what a fraud, what a racist fraud Ronald Reagan is. Jimmy Carter increased the debt by 42 percent. We were coming off the Vietnam War and there was inflation. Jimmy Carter increased the debt by 42 percent. In 1980, he was thrown out of office because Reagan promised to rein in spending and balance our budget. But Reagan ended up increasing the debt by 186 percent. This is why, despite the lies, Reagan was not a beloved president. The Republicans who just lie tell us that everybody loved Reagan. The highest approval rating Reagan ever reached was 68 percent, and that was May 
in May of 1986, and then it plummeted. Carter, the, the really unpopular Carter, and he was unpopular, but he got up to 75%. He had a 75% approval rating. Ford, before Carter, reached 71%. George Herbert Walker Bush, who, when he was running against Reagan in 1980, before becoming Reagan's vice president, and when he was running against Reagan, referred to Reaganomics as voodoo economics, George Herbert Walker Bush reached an approval rating of 89%. Clinton beat Reagan. He got a high of 71%, but he didn't inhale. And then before destroying America, and I really do mean that George W. Bush destroyed America. When George W. Bush, before, right before he destroyed America, he uh, got up to 86%. All these guys did better than Reagan. All of them. Uh, George W. Bush got an approval rating of 86%. Why? Because America is stupid. George W. Bush got an 86% approval rating right after the Twin Towers came down. He got an 86% approval rating because he ignored intelligence briefings that said Osama bin Laden was going to fly jets into our buildings. Americans rallied around the president and gave him an approval rating of 86%. The World Trade Center was in ruins. Our Pentagon was smoldering. And Americans said, I think George W. Bush is doing a great job. But ever since then, because Bush destroyed this country, he really did. He's a war criminal. And he destroyed the country. And the lesson learned was never trust anyone in Washington, D.C. Ever since George W. Bush got an 86 percentage, 86 percent approval rating. Uh, presidents have been unpopular. We won't get burned again. Uh, Congress is unpopular. The Supreme Court is unpopular. Since George W. Bush, war criminal, broke the country, Americans got wise. And ever since we we've ended up hating Obama, Trump and Biden as well as Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Kevin McCarthy. Right now, Americans hate Washington so much, I wouldn't be surprised if they think George Washington was even worse than George W. Bush. The debt ceiling, this is the brinkmanship that's going on right now. The debt ceiling has been raised or suspended more than 100 times, and there's a lot of political brinkmanship going on right now. The, and the media is playing right into it. Veterans aren't going to get their benefits. Grandma is going to starve to death. Everybody's get, we're always scared. And, and we're always scared from some artificial conceit, the debt ceiling. Uh, and the Republicans are demanding spending cuts. That's what we're hearing. Got to cut spending. What I'm not hearing from the Democrats is reversing Trump's tax cuts. Not hearing it. Re Republicans love to come across as adults, insisting, you know, we need to rein in spending as though that's being responsible, reining in spending. No, uh, the responsible thing to do when an adult does is you, you don't raise the debt ceiling. The responsible thing to do is tax billionaires out of existence. You reverse the tax cuts that Donald Trump gave the billionaires. The Congressional Budget Office, and this was ignored this week, the Congressional Budget Office, I think it was on Tuesday, issued a report saying that unless we get rid of the Trump tax cuts for the wealthy, we will tack on an additional $3.3 trillion to our debt in the next 10 years. Problem solved, partly, right? Yet I don't hear those tax cuts on the table. They're not on the chopping block. Grandma's on the chopping block. Veterans are on the chopping block. Food stamps. Maybe uh, it's because both Democrats... And Republicans are owned by the wealthy. Could that be? Gee, you think? Senate Majority Leader Democrat Chuck Schumer and House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries are from New York and are basically bag men for the wealthy. They represent Wall Street. Maybe it's because our president spends his Thanksgivings inside the home of David Rubenstein, 
founder of the Carlyle Group, one of the wealthiest private equity firms in the world. I don't hear anybody saying get rid of Trump's tax cuts for the wealthy. Instead of Trump's tax cuts being on the table right now, Biden and the Democrats position themselves as the saviors of Medicaid and food stamps. And that is a chicken shit move. How is it possible that we're the wealthiest country in the world and we're even talking about putting Medicaid and food stamps on the the chopping block? Why? Because it helps the Republicans and the Democrats. It suits everybody's purpose to put work requirements on food stamps and Medicaid because it makes the Democrats look compassionate. Republicans are now proposing. Again, Republicans are more evil, but uh, because they, they got away with keeping the Trump tax cuts, so they're just going to get more evil and they're going to propose that Americans be forced to work for food stamps, to work for Medicaid. This is cruel and sadistic. And politically speaking, that works for the Republican Party. We know this cruelty and sadism is the fuel that puts Republicans over the finish line. Cruelty, sadism satisfies the Republican base. Getting rid of food stamps, making people suffer, work for food stamps and Medicaid, that satisfies the Republican voter even though a greater proportion of Republican voters need Medicaid and food stamps than Democratic voters do. But Republicans, as we've learned, especially MAGA Republicans, they will vote against their own interests if it satisfies their bloodlust, if it satisfies their desire to hurt someone, make them bleed, even when it's themselves. And by the way, Making people work for food stamps and Medicaid isn't just cruel. It doesn't do anything to lower spending. It has nothing to do with lowering spending. This is just cruelty. Anyone needing food, think about this. I'm going to give you some studies, but just think of the common sense here. Anyone needing food stamps or Medicaid being forced to work isn't going to generate the necessary tax revenue to pay for any of the government services they're receiving. In fact, many of these people who receive food stamps and uh, and use Medicaid are already working. We know that. I, I most of my friends are on Medicaid and they're working. They need Medicaid and food stamps because they're part of what is called here in America the working poor. The work, half this country can't come up with $1,000 for a medical or any emergency. The working poor who spend half their money on rent and can't afford to feed their family or go to a doctor. So they need food stamps and Medicaid. So forcing them to work is just undue hardship. It's sick, it's cruel, and all it does is satisfy the Republican Party's need to punish someone. Now, Lily Roberts, writing for the Center for American Progress earlier this year, said that work requirements for welfare end up costing more than it saves. Work requirements for welfare end up costing more than it saves. Well, of course it does. And it creates the very thing Republicans purport to hate the most, layer upon layer of bureaucracy. She writes that Arkansas in 2018 insisted that recipients of Medicaid find work. But that didn't increase the number of people working. 16,000 residents of Arkansas lost their health care coverage because they couldn't find work and they were left to die. Let me repeat. Austerity, because we don't tax the rich, 
16,000 residents of Arkansas lost their Medicaid and were left to die. And the experiment ended up costing the state of Arkansas, as well as the federal government, $26 million. Why? It cost $26 million to implement the, 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 the procedure of forcing people who need Medicaid to work. You got to keep track of these people, make sure they're working. All that newly created paperwork cost Arkansas $26 million. And employment, nobody found work. At the time, Arkansas's Republican governor was Asa Hutchinson, who is now running for president. He's challenging Donald Trump as the the more moderate, kinder and gentler Republican. 16,000 residents of Arkansas lost their Medicaid because of Asa Hutchinson. Iowa is now implementing. This is my favorite. You're going to love this. Iowa is now implementing work requirements in order to receive food stamps. It is estimated the bureaucracy created to administer these work requirements will cost two and a half times more than the food stamps. Do you mind if I repeat that a thousand more times? It is estimated the bureaucracy Iowa created to administer work requirements for food stamps will end up costing Iowa two and a half times more than the food stamps. This is what Kevin McCarthy has put on the table in the debt ceiling talks, making people work for food stamps and Medicaid. He is proposing that in order to bring down the debt, we spend more on punishing needy people than on what it costs to give them a helping hand. It's cheaper to help people. I wish I was making all this up. I really do. Republican policy isn't about cutting deficits or saving money. It never was. It's about making a handful of Americans richer by lowering their taxes. And the Republicans get away with this by satisfying the bloodlust of financially illiterate Republican voters who want to punish someone, anyone, even when it's themselves. And this works out perfectly for both parties. Republicans get to win elections by appearing cruel and Democrats get to win elections by appearing kind, right? By June 1st, The brinkmanship will end, and we know the debt ceiling will be raised. We're not going to default on our debt because the wealthiest five families in America would lose a little money. What's going to happen is Biden will call it a win on June 1st because he's the good guy who prevented work requirements for food stamps and Medicaid because that's not who we are. And we'll go, oh, I like him. He's looking out for the poor. He saved food stamps and Medicaid when food stamps and Medicaid should never, ever have been on the table. Democrats need the Republicans to put food stamps and Medicaid on the table. And Republicans will call it a win because they demonized the weak and terrorized the poor. It's a win win. But neither party will behave responsibly by going up against their Wall Street donors and getting rid of those Trump tax cuts that will cost us three point three trillion dollars. We're going to add three point three trillion dollars to our debt because we won't get rid of the Trump tax cuts. So all of this, everybody's terrified. We're going to default It's man-made, more man-made than climate change. It's political posturing. And yes, I do agree the debt ceiling is too high. I do agree that America must live within its means. Don't spend money, America, that you don't have. But that doesn't mean that we cut spending. It means taxing 
billionaires out of existence. And we can start getting rid of billionaires by getting rid of the Trump tax cuts. We have Hollywood royalty in our midst. This is exciting. Hollywood royalty, Dave Cyrus, the, the, the creator of Bubkiss on, on Peabody. It stars Edie Falco. My sister loves it. Joe Pesci's in it. Pete Davidson. Every great actor who lives and works in New York is working, is lucky enough to work with Dave Cyrus. Showbiz royalty among us. Welcome, Dave Cyrus. Now, I always say to my listeners, come to office hours. You never know what you're going to see. And the people in my Zoom audience were just treated to my butt crack. I'm wearing low riding uh, jeans and I got up to get a glass of water and I treated people to my butt crack. This is why everybody should come to office hours when we record people like Dave Cyrus. So let me ask you a question. You're royalty. I mean, sure. You are. You you hobnob with the creme de la creme of show business. I I, I, yes, I can't deny that. I uh, I do have I do hobnob. You're at Uh, high society parties in Bel Air, Beverly Hills. You've been can I Warren Beatty, Al Pacino. You you have hung out with all um, my heroes. Joe Pesci. I was at a party with Al Pacino and Warren Beatty once. I didn't hear what you said. What? I I, I did once uh, go to a a birthday party with Al Pacino and Warren Beatty at it. Yes. You you taught you. Eli Roth was there, too. I I worked with Eli Roth. So that's something I have. Mm -hmm. Do you feel threatened now? No, no. I mean, I assumed you'd met him. You know, I, I, I mean, I assumed when he was like a kid. (laughs) I babysat him. So in a way, I worked with him. I worked for him, actually. No, I I, I did some writing for him once. But uh, that's that's it's not about me. It's about you. So you understand the mind of royalty. And Harry and Meghan were in New York City on Monday or Tuesday. And they got involved in a high speed chase with the paparazzi here in Manhattan. What is a high-speed chase in Manhattan? Five miles an hour? Ten miles an hour? Well, here's the thing. I should include the fact that I, you know, I'm friends with some people who get chased by paparazzi. And I used to be friends with people who were even that, you know, basically there was a few years ago when those people included uh, Pete and Ariana when they were a couple. Um, And I can say I've actually been Mayor Pete, before Mayor Pete came out of the closet, he was dating Ariana Grande. Yeah, no, I've been in the car with Pete and Ariana. You're freezing. Hang on, you're freezing. I'm freezing. Yeah. Oh goodness. All right, now Let's you're speak. now you're loose again. Uh, All right, so you were when you say Pete, you're talking about. There we go. You're you're not talking about Pete Buttigieg. You're frozen. We okay. You got me. Well, you're frozen. Mahendra just said Frozen 4. Okay, here we go. Better? Better now. Okay, when you say Pete, you're talking about Pete Davidson. Yeah, and, you know, like, I've been in the car with Pete and Ariana when paparazzi were chasing us, and I can say, at least in my experience, I mean, it was a a full-on car chase. Like, it was paparazzi running red lights, driving on the sidewalk, putting a lot of people in danger, doing things that were extremely dangerous, to not lose us. And on the other side of it, to be fair, you know, you would, you know, the argument is, well, why do you, why even bother argue? Why even bother trying to avoid them? But the truth was in that particular situation, uh, it was the same reason that Harry Megan gave, which was they didn't want them to know where the person was sleeping because, and this is true. Oftentimes in situations, if you allow the paparazzi to follow you all the way home, they will sleep in shifts outside your home for the rest of your life. Right. Like they will just, they will, they will make it so that you are never, ever 
without them with you. They'll just they'll sleep in shifts. They'll wait for you. They'll follow you out. So there is a certain amount of privacy that I feel like there is reasonable reason to have. I'm not going to say that I know what happened because at the same time, it's not that hard to believe that someone would describe something as a dangerous high speed chase when it wasn't quite that. But the idea that it couldn't have been that is ridiculous because I've been in those. And I am, as you know, not quite as famous as Harry and Meghan. No, you're but, close. But then again, the person I was with is so. Right. So let, let me peel this back for a second and be intolerant. Do you mind? Yes, please. Uh, the paparazzi killed Princess Di. There's no question. But her last yeah. words were faster, Doty, faster. And I don't think they were talking about his index finger. She wow. w was I'm, not to be disrespectful. I, I believe they were engaging in a high speed chase with the paparazzi. Yes. And putting putting not just their own lives in danger, but the Parisians. Yeah. And now when you're and when you're in a high speed chase with the paparazzi because you don't want the paparazzi to know where you sleep. Right. You are create you could an argument be made that you are creating the dangerous situation. You know what the paparazzi is like. Yes, you could argue that. Absolutely. Um, because, I mean, that's that is literally the argument, which is. Are they creating the situation by demanding this or are you creating the situation by not letting them have what they want? And I think we can all agree the paparazzi don't just have an intrinsic right to your privacy to, to, under all circumstances. But at the same time, if a, your privacy is not worth a killed pedestrian either. Right. Except so it depends on who the pedestrian is. But sure. If, yeah. Whether or not he has credits, obviously. Yeah. But it's. But yeah, I mean, if a pedestrian had died, we would not be saying poor Harry and Meghan, would we? But this thing is, when I was in this car and I was saying, just let them take the picture, the argument, the, the fair argument was they don't know where this person lives right now. And if they do, they will know forever. And they eventually did find out because that's what they do. They do follow people home. But OK, so I don't want to press one of the things I've always been careful here is not to go into your personal life and your personal work relationship. So let's talk in general terms. Okay. Okay. So without, cause could an argument be made that Harry has no choice. Harry was born into it and he's doing the best he can. And Megan and I, and I'm rooting for them even though he served in Afghanistan and, and killed people who did not. He killed 25 people who had nothing to do with 9-11. Well, Afghanistan, not Iraq. Afghanistan. Iraq, Iraq was more of a separation, I'd say. I, I don't want to get involved with that. But here's the point. A, a celebrity, let's say, God forbid, you became more successful than you are and you, you step out onto the street and it's can I get your autograph and and the paparazzi starts following you knowing what you know could you avoid the paparazzi I think you could you can uh, unless but once you're in a car on a on a New York City street and they know you're in that car there's not a lot you can do at that point um, unless you have like that that's just the truth you can go to the police. You can go to a police station. Do the police even? I mean, what, and then what happens when you leave the police station? Well, what you can, there. well, you can, can just literally wait there for you. Okay, so if I were to advise you, this is what I would tell you: don't drive around in a fancy car that draws attention to you. Wear a wig, wear sunglasses, and a baseball cap. You're famous. The price you pay for fame is you cannot walk down a city street without being swarmed by people. But the fame affords you the luxury to go to Nevis and Barbados to, to get your privacy. But, you know, yes, the price you pay for fame, you get a lot of money, a lot of perks, but you lose your privacy if you want privacy. Go buy a house in Maine. 
Yeah, that is true. So, um, and, and so I think, for example, Alec Baldwin, when he goes at, whenever he kills somebody, there's a stakeout outside his apartment. And I think, okay, I'm your security advisor. They now know where you live. You're a multi, multi-millionaire. I know you like this place, but the paparazzi thinks you live here. Keep this apartment as your decoy home. Once a month, you and your family go in and out of it to make the paparazzi believe this is where you live. And go live across town in, in your real home. Have a decoy home for the paparazzi. That's a lot of money. But that he, seems like a, it's an expensive uh, No, it is not. not if, if you're that famous, you own multiple properties already. I guess the question just honestly becomes, is it reasonable to say you have to just let people follow you everywhere for the rest of your life and that you're never, ever going to have the capability of doing anything without them watching and taking pictures of it, even if you're famous? Like, I don't know. Like, is that is that a price for it to be the child of a celebrity or because you were in a few movies? But is that really happening to people? Yes. Yes. No question. Who is that happening to? People that I've been in, people that I've been personal friends with. And, and does it I've, keep on happening? Yes. It does not stop. It is. No, when I said that they would, I, I meant what I said literally. If you let them follow them to your home, somewhat, they will then call their friend and then they will do shifts where they will sleep outside your house for the rest of their lives. But it is, have but it always is ended, have one of them being able to follow we're, you. And we're then, talking about a handful. We're talking about this year's yeah. model. We're not talking. We're about, talking about very famous people. Yes. Yeah, we're not talking about Paris Hilton or Lindsay Lohan. We're we're, we're not talking about uh, Warren Beatty or Al Pacino. They're they're not they're, their pictures aren't worth as much as this year's model. Is that correct? Sure. Uh, Harry and Meghan happen to be people who. Would you that say level. that Tom Hanks can? That there's less of a market for photographs of Tom Hanks, probably um, Harrison Ford. That he, yeah. that, that he, Harrison Ford. Uh, okay, but you know who probably can't? You know who might be on that list of people who are being followed around all the time is, and I can't say this for sure, but I, I'm saying in terms of the media, like Obama's daughters, they can't go anywhere, right? They can't get away with anything. They're always going to be, you know, uh, having someone snapping a picture of them if they do anything embarrassing. They don't okay. do anything to deserve that. That's fair. Uh, but I mean, that's it, it's just a matter of how many people do you think I, I could whip out people in Us magazine? I don't think Us is still in business, but they're what are there about tw at any given time? There are 20 celebrities who everybody who the paparazzi is chasing. Sure. And that's it. And there's also sports people too. There's, well, there's that I don't understand. There's a lot of sports celebrities that they're that they're also tracking nonstop. Like people just as long as people care about a celebrity's personal life, which I don't think makes sense to me, but people do care. There's going to be a market for it, and people look at paparazzi, you know, as you know, they look at them as like parasites. But in a sense, you know, they're they're all they're doing is fulfilling a need, and there's always going to be someone to fulfill a need that 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 exists. Okay, and it's really more on us for wanting to see pictures of celebrities without makeup walking to the store, which to me is insane. But people want to see it. All right. Speaking of being photographed, Martha yeah. Stewart Martha posed Stewart. posed naked for Sports Illustrated. Just she took off all her clothes. As I had, from what I've understand, it was like a Hustler magazine shot. That's mm -hmm. that, that was. Yes, it was pure. Jessica, you're, you're yeah, you're early. No, what 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 am I saying? Now, a lot of people have the audacity to say she was wrong for posing in a swimsuit for Sports Illustrated. I guess she's 80 years old and people think she's what? What's the argument against Martha Stewart? Well, first of all. We need to just let's just be men for us. Can we just be vulgar men for a second? All just right. Hang on. Hang on. Let me get into garbage. Let me, for one on, second, let me try. David, can we just let me try. OK, can go we ahead. Stop fighting the you know society and just be men for one second. 
she looked unbelievable. She looked fr- she looked freaking ridiculous for, for her age, right? Right. Uh, yeah. She looked really good. I like, couldn't tell if I'm my getting God. I can't tell if I'm getting older. And that's why she No, no, she was objectively hot. It's yeah. kind of shocking. Right. Like she looked ridiculously good for a woman you said 80 years old. Just for that alone, it makes sense. But here's the thing about people getting mad about this. That is a perfect example of just cultural intransigence. Like the way that some people just are obsessed with things not changing in the world, the way some people are just all that matters to them is the comfort of things not changing. And it, I'm sorry, but if you're still masturbating to the swimsuit issue of Sports Illustrated, there is something horribly wrong with you. We do not live in the world because the, the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue was once one of the only ways an average person could get his hands on a nude woman on pornographic to them images of seeing naked women. Now there's naked women everywhere. The, the issue is completely antiquated, so you might as well use it for other purposes, like showcasing, holy God, how do you look this good at 80? Right. It, the fact is, it no longer has its original purpose, which was teaching pubescent boys how to feel sexual. Like, it was, there was a time when the Sears catalog and, the, and Victoria's Secret catalog and Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition were a huge deal to, like, boys who were too young to get porn. Right. But now everyone on the planet can see the most depraved sexual pornographic acts that have ever been recorded at the same time. Well, do you worry, for argument's sake, that Martha Stewart is creating body dysmorphia for older women? Um, I hope so, because everyone <laughs> needs something to aspire to. Do you think it, she, she has an unfair advantage and is creating unrealistic expectations for grandma. Absolutely. No question. So, is, so is she doing a disservice to women by objectifying her body on sport, uh, uh, by appearing in, in a swimsuit on Sports Illustrated? No, because I believe that we should be celebrating the exceptional in this world. And there's nothing wrong. You know, I don't have to look at a bodybuilder. Uh, at the Olympics and say, he makes me feel bad about myself. He shouldn't be allowed to do that. You're not worried that grandma is going to look at Martha Stewart and say, I and not put in her choppers and say, I'm going to stop eating. Is there something wrong with the idea that maybe grandma sees that and says, huh, maybe I should be doing hack squats. Maybe I should be using you know getting my glutes up maybe maybe this gets grandma on the gym what's wrong with that well i read the interview with martha stewart and oh, there's yeah you read it just for the interviews sure <laughs> and she talked about how she got ready for the shoot and there is something there's some class struggle at play here not everybody can afford the pilates classes and the spray tan and it it in in many ways it's a form of classism. Martha Stewart does not owe it to the poor people of the world to not use her money to take care of herself physically. But I think at I'm, some point you're allowed to spend the money you made if you're not you know specifically hurting people. But it's a false, hollow message that should not be sent out to the elderly that you too can look this way if you're worth a billion dollars. There's elderly bodybuilders who, you know, when a seven-year-old man manages to still have a jacked physique, you know, I mean, Sylvester Stallone is an example, though I don't, I, I assume he doesn't do it completely naturally, no offense, uh, allegedly. But I mean, is that so bad? Is it so bad to say, hey, did you know this was even possible? Isn't that amazing? Well, you know, Jeff Bezos, who is a yes, a, look, looks like a super looks like a super villain now. He, yes, he's correct. a homunculus. He looks yeah, like he, a homunculus and he doesn't look norm. He doesn't look uh, uh, reasonable. But I agree. They're celebrating his shredded body as he appears topless on his new five hundred million dollar yacht. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking if I had one hundred thirty billion dollars, I could afford the body sculpting. Well, let and me ask the you fake this, pecs that he has. Well, here's a real question, though. If you had a hundred billion dollars, would it still matter that much to you that you look pretty? Yes. Isn't that in its own way kind of weird? 
to be to have all that money and still be like, I want people to want to have sex with me, too. I want I want to be handsome. I want to be beautiful. Isn't it a little odd that Jeff Bezos wants to be that attractive that he well, that's why he's worth half a trillion dollars is because he looks like a troglodyte. Not anymore. Now he looks like Lex Luthor. Yeah, he looks worse than a troglodyte. He look he's. He's as ugly on the outside as he is on the inside. And to to own a five hundred million dollar yacht while he still won't recognize the Amazon labor union. I have a question. What are icebergs doing that they can't crash into that yacht? They have nothing uh, better. To, what about solidarity? Where, where are the icebergs? Mm-hmm. There's never I, no, an iceberg I, when you need one. Yeah, no, they they already peaked. They don't do too much anymore. Marjorie but, no, Taylor I mean, Greene. But you're right, though. I would if you're going to have a half a billion dollar yacht, you know, and not pay people what they deserve. Uh, it looks weird. It would be nice if he was more of a Warren Buffett. Yeah. Warren Buffett is evil. Yeah, but not as. No, he's just done market. He's the largest. He owns Chevron. He's one of the largest shareholders of Chevron and Occidental Petroleum. Yeah. That's pretty Still, evil. Jeff Chevron's Morris. evil. It's mitigated. It's by his folksy wisdom. I'm just saying I'm just saying on the curve of who they're judged against. You know, Bill Gates is a better person than Elon Musk. There's just certain things you just have to be objective about. Now, I don't want to get into an argument with you because you're more successful and you might be able to help me in the future. So what I will do is agree with you. No, I've already been clear. I'm the oldest person I will ever hire. Oh, okay. I, I'm actively trying to uh, discriminate against people older than me because I'm old. So I want to make sure that, like, you know, I show people that I don't think I'm old by being really mean to the elderly. Right. It's it's the, it's an old. What what you do is you hire anybody who's willing to say I'll take less money if you teach me, and they tend to be younger people. This is a you don't you can this is just a learning experience for me. Pay me what you want. And older people don't say that. So you can't hire somebody who's willing to work 40 hours a day and chalk it up to a learning experience. But that's also what people like about you, David, is that you are an extremely experienced comedy writer who still understands he gets paid what an introductory person would get. Mm hmm. That's what's so valuable about you, that you have the humility to understand I have not gotten a stitch better in 40 years. Right. I'm still pitching the Ayatollah Kakamani jokes. Mm -hmm. You're too young to remember the Ayatollah Kakamani jokes. No, I, 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 I do remember. <laughs> the Ayatollah I remember, I, I remember when it became Ayatollah Khamenei, they were like, you know, it still works. I, I don't throw out the shirts. I still if I'm working for somebody who's my age, I'll throw in an Ayatollah Kakamami joke just to see if uh, there was Khamenei, actually was reading Khamenei. what I'm writing. Let, before you go, let's talk about Marjorie Taylor. Or, am I for her or against her? I forgot my the role um, I play for, for today. You're going to be you're going to take her side. OK, good. I like her. Good. I don't. <laughs> and I think you're a real piece of garbage for saying that. I, well, you know what? Why do you hate women? I, I yeah, she's well, a, she's a role model for 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 uh, for women. The jokes I the jokes I would have made ten years ago. Yes. So the th the thing about that is, um, so Marjorie did the thing. Look, we we liberals like to make fun of her. We like to talk about her like she's a joke. But sometimes a joke can get very serious very fast. Hitler was a joke. Exactly. Exactly. Hitler was, and he he was he was a, a an oddity, a weirdo, a loser who attained power and people didn't take him seriously. Marjorie Taylor Greene. What do they say? First they laugh at you and then they give you a Netflix special. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I think exactly. that's the, the old expression. First they laugh at you. That was Churchill. Yeah. Churchill said that? Uh, yeah. Uh, so Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, we make fun of her. We act like she doesn't know what she's doing, but then she, but then once in a while, and then she just did something that made us all get really serious, really fast that she, everyone talked about it, but she actually did it. What'd she she do? put her money where her mouth is. She put down the actual articles of impeachment for Joe Biden. And she showed after all this talk, people kept 
people kept talking, kept kept yakking away about all these crimes they had on Joe Biden, that we have a, a laptop full of crimes that he committed, millions of dollars from the Chinese government, a man getting bribes, a man actually conspiring to destroy America just to, so that his brother could take a, a, a low six figure salary from from some shady businessman. And then she came and she took all those accusations. She said, we got him. We got Joe Biden. and We're going to impeach him for. Not being mean enough to immigrants. There is something truly beautiful about the idea of having all that build up. And that's your ac- That's the impeachable accusation. Not deporting people enough. Right. And Mayorkas. Homeland Mayorkas. Security. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it is. It just it's one of those incredibly satisfying moments. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of something I saw many, many years ago when Donald Trump was not a political uh, person. Years before that went back when Don Jr. was a lot chubbier. I remember he was being interviewed uh, on some news program uh, about his father's feud with Rosie O'Donnell. And he said, we are going to sue Rosie. We are going to take her for all she has. We already have lawyers preparing to take her down. And they said, what exactly are you suing her for? And she's and and Don, this, I swear to God, this is word for what he said. And Don Ju says, well, she she committed slander. She lied about my father. Hmm. And and the person said, well, what specifically did she lie about that your lawsuit specifies? And Don Jr. said she said he was chubby and that he has bad hair. I hand to God, David, that's what he this? said. This was um, around 2012, um, around 20. Uh, might have Actually, no, I'm sorry. It was more like 09 because I remember I did a like a YouTube video about it. And I remember laughing. So this is the first time I'd ever seen Don Jr. First time I ever found out who he was. And I was laughing hysterically. I was like, that is a beautiful example of what someone who is completely full of garbage gets right. caught. Yeah. And someone who's too stupid to know when to stop lying. Right. It was a it was a it was a like that was like a big moment for me as a young man being like, this is like this is such hypocrisy. This is such failure that I want to remember this for the rest of my life. Well, you've been on the fence. So let me ask you, you're undecided uh, when it comes to Trump versus Biden. What do you think now? Are you going to lean t- towards? Well, you know, look. I'll admit I've always, you know, I've, maybe I've been a little unfair to Trump. Uh-huh. Maybe, you know, at the, I mean, I don't know how to play along with this. Uh, the thing about Trump and Biden is that like, I, you know, I, someone was bringing it up to me. I made an analogy the other day that I think is very apt because they were, well, they were talking about Biden and Hillary and they were saying, oh, they're just like every other bad politician. And, you know, it was someone who didn't know a ton about, you know, politics. And they were saying like, is Trump really that much worse? And I said, here's what it is. Trump, Hillary and Biden, I could describe as the, the difference is, would you rather have a doctor who cheats on his wife and gives his girlfriend his prescription pad to write out whatever prescription she wants on the side? Or would you rather have a doctor who's a serial killer dressed up as a doctor? That's the difference between right. Trump and Biden. Well said. Well said. Well, Dave Cyrus is show business royalty. Thank you. Thank you, you for are. saying that again. Creator of Bupkis, streaming right now on Peabody. I guess I'm not allowed to promote that, right? Um, um oh right. Well, I mean, it that is where it is. We're not telling it is on Peacock. We're do not, not telling do not watch. Uh, we're not telling anyone to watch it. Don't watch. You're just acknowledging that that's why you have resentment against me. It doesn't mean we're telling people to watch do it. Do not watch it. In solidarity with the Writers Guild, do not watch uh, bupkis, which means nothing, right? Bupkis uh, is a Yiddish term that basically means of no substance. Now, do you know where the word bupkis was first normalized on what television show? No, I know that it means goat poop, literally. uh, But I don't know what TV show. Yes. I don't know what TV show it actually originated. The Dick Van Dyke show. Dick really? Fa- yes. Rob Petrie wrote a song called Bupkis. Now, was he afraid that would reveal to the world that he was a Jew? Well, Carl, Reiner, the, the, the lyrics were, what did I get from you? Bupkis. What did I get from you? Bupkis. And, it, and he wrote the song when he was poor and it became a hit. 
And the the episode was his trying to get his fair share of uh, the royalties from the song Bupkis. I figured you knew that. His own song into the show. No, 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 no. We have to wrap it up. The, 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 the Dick Van Dyke, Rob Petrie, the Dick Van Dyke character was a comedy writer, but before he got work on the Alan Brady show, he and an old army pal wrote a song called Bupkis. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying they put the song in the show just to get more royalties. No, in, in the script. It wasn't. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. In the fictional version. In the fictional version. Yes. Thank okay. You. Dave Cyrus, congratulations on all your success. I and would... yours. What? I, I think you should congratulate me on your success as well. Oh, okay. Thank you, Dave Cyrus. All right. Thank you, David.